0: Don't you love it this time of year when you see the the big brown truck the the UPS truck pull up in front of your house and he stops and he gets out of that driver's seat and he goes back into that magic cabin in the back and, and out of that space he brings these treasures these these long hoped for and often far overdue items that you ordered so long ago all these good things that come out of the back of that truck you know as followers of Christ you and I that's kind of our role in this world as well you and I we've been we've been given the job at least Uh, From the perspective of our unsaved family and friends, we ought to be the the joy-inducing deliverers of good things from God that we show up and they're excited to see us because we come wearing the uniform of the king. We come delivering the good things and the good news that he's given us to deliver. We bring his message of reconciliation. We bring a foretaste, a sample of his sacrificial love to those who are are living outside of God's grace and goodness. You and I, we are mediators, if you will, between this world that is lost in rebellion and our heavenly Father. And so when others come to us amidst their earthly journey, you and I, our job is to to go and to to grab hold of those things that God has supplied us with and and to minister to those who come to us. The problem is, a lot of times when others come to us, we end up feeling like we don't have anything to give them, anything to offer. We we feel like we go into the back of the truck and the shelves are bare and the packages are gone. And yet the truth is, you and I, we have access to a storehouse of wonderful gifts that will never run out. That's why you and I, we need we need to shamelessly and boldly go in prayer to our Savior, to the one who loves us like no other, who, who lacks no power, who has every resource that, that we so badly need, and to ask him to provide for us that which we can then share with those around us. That's really the gist of our passage this morning. This morning, we're gonna be continuing on in our study through Luke chapter 11. So let me encourage you to do this. Grab your Bibles, find the gospel of Luke there in the New Testament, find chapter 11, conveniently sandwiched between chapters nine, 10, and then 12 and 13. Find verse five, that's where we left off last week. Will you do this when you found Luke 11? Stand. I'll read the passage. You can follow along. Here's what Luke writes. as what Jesus says to us. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. And then he will answer him from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, we ask you, to open up your storehouses of good and to pour it out on us this morning, God, that we might hear and understand your word, that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us, that you would shape our hearts, that you would inform our minds and you would transform our living. God, I pray that we would not just hear, but we would comprehend. We would not just comprehend, but we would receive. We would not just receive, but we would also respond. Work in us, Lord. Speak to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you remember where we left off last week, Jesus has just taught his disciples uh, what it is that they are to pray. Jesus had just come from a time of prayer alone with the Lord and his disciples ask him, teach us to pray. And so he tells them, this is what you need to pray. You need to pray first and foremost that God's name would be honored. You can pray, Father, your name be honored. And pray for God's kingdom to be advanced. And then, then begin to pray for those things that you need. Pray for God's provision, that God would provide all that you need, that, that God would forgive you, because that's the thing that we need more than anything else, isn't it? And pray for God's protection from temptation. And so Jesus tells his disciples what they should be praying for. Uh, but now he continues to talk to them about prayer. But really what he's doing now is he's talking about how they should pray, how they should enter in, what their attitude should be. And he says more than anything else that they should come to God boldly. So boldly, in fact, that in order to make his point, Jesus crafts what had to be for his listeners a fairly comical story. Jesus says there in verse five, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight. Okay, you're not supposed to go to your friends at midnight unless you're in college and then that's okay. But other than that, it's not okay. And he says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer him from inside and he'll say, don't bother me. The door's locked. Children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So a man receives a traveling guest and and as his guest arrives very late, the man suddenly is made aware of the fact that he doesn't have any bread to offer his guest. And so he, he goes to his neighbor who at midnight, understandably, is already in bed. And in that day, and in that part of the world, it would have meant this, that the entire family would have been bedded down on, on a, a, what, what they would have, you and I would see it as like a sleeping platform. It was a raised area within this one-room house uh, where the entire family would bed down. And not only would they be bedded down, but, but all of their livestock would be brought into that first floor area for safekeeping for the night. So if they had cows, the cows would be there. And if they had sheep, the sheep would be there. And if they had chickens, the chickens would be there. And if they had pigs, they wouldn't be in this story. (laughs) But whatever they had, whatever whatever livestock they had, they would be there between the sleeping platform and the bolted door. And so, of course, when in the middle of the night there is this gentle tap, tap, tapping at the door, it is just ignored hoping that maybe whatever it is or whoever it is will just simply go away. Uh, But then when a a louder knocking begins to come, it's dismissed with a rather quiet and probably fairly grumpy, what is the matter with you? Come back tomorrow. And then uh, the persistent neighbor begins to pound upon the door. And so he calls out and he says, go away. We are in bed like you should be. All right? But eventually, since everyone is already awake by this point, our friend does get his bread. As Jesus puts it there in the middle of verse 8, not because this neighbor is such a good friend, but simply because of his friend's shameless boldness. In other words, he gives him the bread just to get him to go away. Now, Jesus' point is this. You and I know that If we need something badly enough, that if we will then be bold enough in our asking, eventually even our neighbor who is a bit grumpy will give it to us even if it's only to get us to go away. So, Jesus argues, if that's how it is with your grumpy neighbor, then certainly, if you will take that same boldness and you will go instead to God who loves you, you will fare far, far better. Because, dear friends, God doesn't go to bed. He doesn't put in earplugs. And he is not reticent to answer your requests. In fact, in the writer of the letter of the Hebrews, he tells us in Hebrews 4.16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And so the writer of Hebrews said, "Men, go with boldness, but maybe you think, ah, that might be good for them. But I think God's mad at me. And maybe there's good reason. Maybe in your life, you have rebelled against the Lord. You have sinned greatly against the Lord. And maybe you have made yourself to be God's enemy. That all may be true. In fact, I would hazard to say that for all of us, because all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that that is true of all of us, that none of us in and of ourselves should have a boldness in coming to God, except for this. Except for this, the writer of Hebrews says, "'Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness.'" Therefore, what is he referencing? He's referencing the verses that come just before this. If you look up just a little bit higher there in chapter four of Hebrews, it's because Jesus is our great high priest. It is because Jesus has offered himself as a sacrifice in our place, that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin all that we have done to justly deserve the wrath of God, Jesus has purchased forgiveness for us. And so because of Jesus, we can boldly come before the throne of God. Remember in Romans chapter eight, there in Romans eight in verse 32, Paul writes this, Speaking of God, that he did not even spare his own son, but he offered him up for us all. Therefore, since he did that, will he not also with him grant us everything? You ever have an old car that you overinvested in? You, you just, you know, it's really not that great of a car, but you, you were between a rock and a hard spot. And so you end up putting a new engine in it or you you put brand new tires on it. And then, man, you, oh man I, I put all this money into it. I got to kind of take care of it now. And yeah, it's kind of a beater, but it's what I've got. And, and I'm already invested in it. And so even though this car maybe yeah, it needs some work, let's just be honest. But because I've invested in it so greatly, I'm going to continue to provide whatever is needed to keep that thing running. That's you and God. He has already over-invested in you. He has already given his son. He has already made the absolute greatest investment that could be made in that he, he has given his son to be a sacrifice for our sin. And because he has done this, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that God will then with him grant us everything. You see, we can come with boldness to the Father. We can know he isn't sleeping, he isn't grumpy, The doors aren't barred. He doesn't have earplugs in, but rather he is sitting up. He is listening to hear your approach. He is desiring to hear you call out to him. He is just waiting for you to come to him. And so in verse 9, Jesus says this, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says to his guys, come to me, look to me and I will respond. God wants to respond to us. He is longing for us to look to him for all that we need. And when we do that, oh, when we, when we call to him, he steps in. When we invite God into our circumstances, he shows up and he provides exactly what it is that we need. Now, I have to be honest, that doesn't always look the way that we think it's going to look. Sometimes the way that God shows up isn't exactly, well, what we had in mind. That's what Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 is all about. It's about God showing up, but maybe showing up in ways that, that we didn't really think was going to be the solution to the problem Uh, Paul writes this, we also boast in our afflictions. What? How is that God showing up? How can things going wrong, things going bad be part of, of when God shows up? Well, it's this, because we know that our affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. In other words, sometimes things go what we would call quite badly. And yet, what God's word promises us is that even in the midst of that, God promises that he is going to work it, he is going to use it to produce what is good for us. And that's what what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. Remember verses 28 and 29, Paul says there, we know that all things, all things, that includes our afflictions, those difficulties, those painful circumstances, those tragedies that we experience. He says, we know that all things, work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That when we invite God into our circumstances, even those, those situations where, where, where pain comes in, where difficulty seems to abound, when we invite God in, he works in the midst of those circumstances to bring good to us. That doesn't mean that afflictions become fun that pain begins to feel good. It continues to hurt. It continues to be difficult. But what God promises us is that he is going to bring us through on the other side to a far better place. He says that he will work these things towards good. But understand this. God's idea of good and our idea of good are not always the same. We always think that good means I live in Disneyland, right? That my life just becomes the epicenter of the happiest place on earth. Nothing bad ever happens. Everything is good all the time. But God's idea of good is slightly different from that. He defines it in verse 29 of Romans 8. Look at that. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. In other words, those who belong to God, he has a plan for your life. God has a plan. He has an agenda. There is something that he is seeking to accomplish in the midst of your life, and it's this, that you would be conformed to the image of his son, that you would be shaped and honed and molded day by day more and more to look like Jesus, to respond like Jesus, to love like Jesus. That's his his idea of good, his definition of good in our lives. So very clearly here what Jesus is saying doesn't mean that whatever we ask for, that God is just going to automatically give it to us. It doesn't mean that God is our magic genie. He sounds like Robin Williams or Will Smith and that we are his master and, and we just bark out our commands, you know, because God, God's powerful, but he's not real bright. So you got to tell him what to do for you, Right. And so we just let him know what it is that he needs to do and then he will swoop in and he will fulfill our every wish. That's not it. That's not it at all. Rather, what Jesus is saying here is that when the sincere believer seeks God, when he invites God into his circumstance, that the Lord will be faithful to give that person that which is best for them. And in the end, isn't that really what we have wanted all along? That which was best for us. Just a word to the wise. If really what you're about all about is wanting to get that specific thing which you have asked for, then here's the key. You've got to ask for the right thing. In John 14, Jesus says this, that whatever you ask in my name, he, that is the Father, will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The key phrase there is in my name. Whatever you ask in my name. Think of it like this. It's like someone using your credit card. So if if someone has your credit card and they are your child and they are filling up your gas tank with, with gas, with your permission, it is something that you have asked them to do, they are doing that in your name, right? But that guy in Nigeria who has your credit card number, That's a whole different situation, right? Hey, that's a whole different circumstance. And he may be doing it as if it were in your name. That's called credit card fraud. But that isn't under your authority. And so to hear what Jesus is saying is that when you ask for those things, that are my heart's desire for you, those things that are in my name, that which I desire for you. Man, the Father's going to do that every time. He's going to do that every time because that brings him glory. Now, you and I, we look at that and we think, man, that's that's a tough target to hit. I mean, we're talking about the will of God here, right? The will of God, it's, it's just like this, this tiny little bullseye that's just really, really far away. And, and we look at it and think, oh, man, I'll never hit that target. I'll never be able to hit, make that mark. I don't think that's really how it is. I, I think that's, that's a wrong way to think about it. I think actually uh, God being a loving father, he gives us an enormous target. And then he moves us up really close so that we couldn't miss unless we purposefully tried. God makes it as easy as possible for us to hit the bullseye. The Lord says, listen, I just want you to ask for something good. You ask for something good, and I'm going I'm to give it to you, or maybe I will give you something even better. Remember this. The Lord is for you. He isn't reticent to grant your requests. He isn't deaf to what you need. Sometimes his timing, it does leave us waiting or wondering, but he is good. And he hears our prayers and he promises that he will answer. I can't tell you whether or not he will give you what it is that you're asking for. But I do know this, he loves you and he has promised to give you that which is for your good. And he will do that. After all, he's your father and he loves you. Look at verse 11. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he asked for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. One dad leaving service said, thanks for the stocking stuffer ideas. (laughs) I don't think he was paying attention. No, 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 no. This isn't a recommendation for, you know, snakes and scorpions to go in the Christmas stockings. That isn't what it's about. In fact, he says, if you then who are evil... My kids like to point out that Jesus knew dads were evil. Um, If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more does God? God loves to give us good. And we can trust him to give us good and not to give us evil. And yet, just living life on this planet, Sometimes you get a lump of coal, don't you? Or sometimes you ask for an egg and you get a scorpion, metaphorically speaking, anyway. Sometimes evil comes. Here's what we've got to remember it isn't that God is giving us evil. It's that we are experiencing evil because we live in a fallen and broken world. We live in a world that has been messed up by our sinful rebellion against God. But even when we receive evil because of this world in which we live, God promises to do what? To work it to our good. Even in the midst of the hard things and the difficult things. And God promises that when it comes from him, that what he gives us, it will be good. In fact, Jesus kind of pulls a fast one at the end of this teaching with his disciples. He's been talking to them about prayer, what they should pray, and now how they should pray, that they should come boldly, knowing that God will give them exactly what they need. And then he answers a question that they didn't ask. What they didn't ask is, what do we need? And Jesus tells them, Exactly what they need, he says. How much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him? You ever get underwear for Christmas? That's just wrong. I mean, they, they, that, seriously, that ought to be like a misdemeanor, a, a felony. Honestly, a felony. I think it should be a felony. I mean, what kid sitting around a Christmas tree with random relatives watching wants to open a package of things they don't even want to admit they have, right? It's like, why would you do this to your child? Because they need them, right? You know, there's two kinds of needed Christmas presents. There's the underwear variety. That's wrong. That's just wrong. But then there's the, the situation where, you know, what you really ask for for Christmas, what you want is a, a better pair of walking shoes and maybe a bus pass. But instead, you open up a little box and inside there's a pair of car keys. <gasps> because what you need, I know all the teenagers are like, yes, yes, Lord, Lord, did you hear the pastor said it? From his lips to my parents' ears. Don't count on it. (laughs) They only listen to half of what I say. (laughs) Not that much? Okay. Sometimes when we get the very thing that we need, it is far, far better than that which we have asked for. You know, so often we find ourselves in circumstances that are difficult or painful and we tell God what it is that we need him to do. And we we kind of explain the situation to him. We use small words. We make sure he's paying attention. And then we're disappointed when he doesn't follow our masterful plan. And that's because he's got something else entirely in mind for us that is far, far better. And what Jesus says here is that thing which is far, far better is is the work that will be accomplished in us when, when God pours out the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And God begins to do a work in us and through us in the midst of the realities of living life here on this planet. So what's so great about the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would would present it really kind of as a cure-all, right? It's that thing that your Aunt Phyllis thinks that, you know, no matter what's the matter with you, if you just take this stuff, just drink this essential oil or whatever it is, that, you know, it it will cure everything, right? So what is it about the Holy Spirit that Jesus is convinced is the one thing that we truly need? Well, Paul talks about it a little bit in Ephesians chapter 5. There, Paul says this. He says, pay careful attention to how you walk. In other words, how you live matters. It matters how you live. He says, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Paul looked at at life in his day and he said, listen, it's rough out there. It's a mess out there and nothing's changed, has it? And so Paul says, it's important how you live, it's important how you walk and and what you do matters and how you respond to the mess out there matters. And and there's really uh, two main options that you might follow. He says, so don't be foolish, understand what the Lord's will is and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. In other words, don't be the person who looks at the mess out there and goes, hang it all, (laughs) there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just gonna give up. And whatever that looks like for you, that you're just going to give up and you're going to go drink away your sorrows, or you're going to go watch old movies until you're, you're as numb as a drunk, or, or you're going to hey, go do whatever and pour yourself into something else. Jesus says, don't go that route. Don't go that direction. Don't bury yourself, numb yourself in whatever your chosen medication is, but rather look at what he says, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. Paul says this is God's desire. This is this is what he wants to give us, that he might empower us, that he might change us, that the way that we live and interact with others here on this, this floating ball of a planet might matter. and What will be the impact if we are filled with the Spirit of God? I see three things here in this passage. There's far more than that, but three things that Paul brings up in Ephesians 5. First of all, this speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, that when we come together we might minister to each other. We have come together to worship God because worshiping God isn't just about hearing someone sing, and it isn't just about hearing someone talk about God's word, but it is us interacting with each other. Dear friends, don't miss that. Don't miss that. That is a vital part of all this. Scripture talks about us as believers ministering to each other, speaking God's word to each other, encouraging each other, challenging each other, being involved with each other. That's why it's so important for us to be together, to be connected with one another. Secondly, Paul says this, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives us a thankful heart. Even in 2020, even in the midst of the last six months, man, the last six months, it has really uncovered some whininess in us, hasn't it? Some crabbiness. I mean, it, far too often we open our mouths and Fox News comes out. And that is unattractive. I, I mean, it's just we open our mouths and and it's just blah, here's what's going on today. Blah, here's what's going on in Washington. Blah, you know, here's what's going on with. But when we're filled with the Spirit of God, something entirely different comes out. And I don't mean CNN. I mean stuff that will actually help someone, (laughs) that will encourage them and strengthen them. And we begin to have an attitude of thankfulness even in the midst of the chaos in which we live. And thirdly, Paul says this, that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will begin submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. We'll begin submitting to one another. We'll begin loving each other in that way that Jesus described that would cause people to look at us and say, man, there is something wrong with those people. Because the way they love each other, I mean, it's weird. It kind of creeps me out. I mean, they sacrifice for each other and they, they... It's like they care more about the other people than they do about themselves. I mean, that's, that's wrong, isn't it? The world outside should look at us and they should be confused just by the volume and the intensity of the love that we have for each other. And I promise you this, you will never, you will never find that within yourself. You will never reach down deep enough to feel like loving me. I am far too irritating for that. But rather, as you receive the love of Christ, as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there becomes within you a source of love and joy and peace that even 2020 can't diminish. Oh, we need this. We need this. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what it is that you're thinking, man, I want to go boldly to the Father about this situation. I want to go boldly to God and ask him to to fix this because I am desperate. And whatever solution is that we are ready to propose to God, I will promise you this. You being filled with his Holy Spirit is the best answer. Maybe not the whole answer. Maybe God does want to change your circumstance as well. But I promise you this, whether God wants to change your circumstance or not, I know this, he wants to change our hearts, doesn't he? He wants to shape us to be more and more like Jesus. He wants us to be indwelt by transformed by and overflowing with his Holy Spirit. Jesus was out praying by himself. And as he came back, his disciples knew that whatever it was that he did when he prayed to God, it was powerful and it was real. And so they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he did. He told them what to pray for, and we looked at that last week. And then he told them how to pray, to come boldly to the Lord. Come boldly because he has paved the way for you. He has opened the door for you. He has made the way so that you can come without fear, without guilt, without shame, and you can know that the Father who loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place, that he will hear you and that he will respond to you and that he will provide for you exactly what you need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Savior. And God, for this time today, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us a privilege to be together and to have opportunity to encourage and challenge and build each other up. And, and Lord, we pray that you would equip us to do that. Lord, I pray for those who this morning, they didn't have to think hard to think of a situation that made them desperate. They didn't have to to ponder what it was in their life that they wanted to bring to you. Father, this morning they would have the assurance of your peace that you have heard them, that you are trustworthy, and that you will respond. And Lord, I ask that you would grant us the filling of your Holy Spirit, the refreshing, the overflowing, that we might be changed as we await your answer. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.